Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 41 of the Third Fridays podcast. It's, it's really funny because uh, in our world, the last uh, three uh, episodes really talked about COVID-19 and, and why not. Uh, it's wrapping uh, around the minds of everyone in our world, uh, not just workers' compensation, uh, and it felt like uh, it was important to really uh, get that uh, those points across and, and culminating really in a, in a star-studded panel last month involving Willis Towers Watson. Uh, they're a global company that's uh, now able to help businesses safely reopen during these difficult circumstances. So uh, again, uh, our thanks to Brian Palmer and David Barry for, for appearing uh, last month to, to give us some uh, guest spots on the panel. But sometimes when we're in that kind of world, makes us forget or, or almost makes us forget about what we really do on a day-to-day -day basis and what we've been about since day one uh, is growth and development uh, and results and during this time uh, we've had a great opportunity to see how our firm has matured over the past few years and as a leader in this company, I thought it'd be a good idea to take a break from COVID-19 issues. I mean, I think that's fair for at least a month and welcome a panel of attorneys here at Lois that are part of our bright future. So uh, let's meet our, our panel of four. Um, you know, for uh, my first guest, you know, things are, are truly developing when our firm can interview a smart mind from Toronto. So, uh, you know, Canada loses to the, the great United States again uh, with Vandana Saunders <laughs> defecting to Lois Law Firm, uh, starting here as a law clerk and developing uh, as a, a New York licensed attorney uh, and really uh, destroying for our firm. So, so welcome, welcome to the show, Vandana. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, my next guest uh, actually was uh, Vandana's referral as a law school classmate, you know, straight uh, uh, from from the South, uh, some Georgia-born ambition uh, from this gentleman to, to really just take the New York bar on a whim. And, uh, you know, nothing really strikes my fancy than, uh, you know, some young bucks like looking to make it big. So, um Connor Weatherington may seem like a name fit for uh, British royalty, but... Why don't you show them just that Southern twang that judges like, Connor? Welcome to the show. Hey, y'all. Nice to have you. <laughs> and my next guest, you know, uh, has, has been with us for, for, for a while, but actually started uh, when, when she was a law student. And, and sometimes it seems like the world is your oyster uh, when you're a student. And, and uh, staying with us and, and really uh, understanding what we're all about is always a good reminder to see that we're doing things the right way when a precocious, smart young law student is ready to take the baton and really go earn for the firm. Uh, so Bailey Ott, uh, welcome to the show. Hey everybody. And and my final guest, uh, you know, we do uh, like to throw some shade to, to claimants attorneys every once in a while, but you know when you do claimant side work and you want to cross the river uh, to the defense means you're ready for a real challenge. And um, this uh, last guest certainly uh, has demonstrated that in, in such a short time here. Now, number one draft pick for any lowest trivia night, uh, we'll, we're going to welcome Steve McClendon to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's nice to cross over and I look forward to this conversation. <laughs> so, 
guys, uh, you know, you're part of our, our, our bright future and our, our growing uh, development here. And uh, you're here to tell us about all the good work that you've done. So um, who's up first? Who wants to tell me about something great uh, that, that he or she has done along with their teammates for, for uh, Lois Law Firm? Uh, you know, I'll kick it off. Um, I had a case uh, within the last month and a half where it got disallowed at the trial level. And it, it was interesting because the judge kind of noted that she would have ended up disallowing, disallowing the claim on two different fronts. So uh, as a little background, this guy, he got hurt in September of 2018, but he didn't file a claim um, until... I believe it was in February or no, excuse me, December of 2019. And the claimant, he didn't treat or provide any kind of notice until December of 2018 as well. So there was a huge gap in, in his filing of the claim and when he sought treatment. And so after going through the trial levels, and I do want to have a selfish shout out of my paralegal, Will Abreu, who was on top of everything and getting my employer witness ready for testimony and making sure he was there. Um, and we go through all this testimony at the trial level. And ultimately the judge found that we overcame the section 21 presumptions, which is basically saying, unless we have substantial evidence to the contrary, it's going to basically seem like an accident happened and occurred. And the judge felt that we overcame those presumptions through the testimony of our employer witness and the aggressive cross-examination of the claimant. And so she disallowed it on that basis, saying that, hey, this doesn't seem like the guy had an accident, really, because he didn't really treat and he waited so long to even bring the claim. And the, like I mentioned earlier, she stated that um, even if the accident, even if she would have found an accident had occurred, she would have disallowed the claim under Section 18 because he failed to bring this claim or provide notice to his, to the employer within 30 days. It's really it's that's it's a, a lot to even take in, Connor. Mm -hmm. I think that you know it's it's one thing where we have like one great defense and we put all our eggs in that basket, and it's you know it's either a win or a lose, right? Those are the trials that, that keep us up at night because uh, you know we're putting uh, time in to really invest in a, in that type of win. And then if something goes wrong, right, it's like a reversal the other way. Like we're, we're like trying to mitigate exposure that we were initially saying there is none, right? And to have a judge say, hey, by the way, claimant, while you're down, let me kick you with this other other reason why your claim's gonna be disallowed. I think that's a, you know, a, a real, you know, maybe we can, we can laugh about it for sure, but certainly, uh, uh, demonstrative of, of a good effort uh, from the team there. Uh, I mean, overcoming a Section 21 presumption is not easy, right? Like, assuming that there's no witnesses to an accident, that the claim is compensable. I mean, what kind of world are we living in? It's like, like uh, it's almost like a carrier is guilty before, uh, unless they prove themselves to be innocent. So, I mean, how how did you guys come up with a way to convince a judge to say if everything is on the claimant side, like how, how did, how did we get that win? Um, I think it really all boiled down to our employer witness because he was the owner of our witness was the owner of the company. And 
the claimant, he was saying that, um, you know, the, the company paid his initial hospital bills and all of this kind of stuff and provided notice. And once our employer witness takes the stand, he's like, no, I cut the checks for payroll and handle the workers comp stuff. We didn't pay any hospital bills. He never reported the injury and he wasn't really sure if the guy or the individual that the claimant gave notice to was even his employee because the company was so large and the judge, I guess, luckily the judge didn't make us produce employee records, but I think it really kind of, it boiled down to the claimant was shaky and spotty in his testimony and our employer witness was, was solid. Yeah, good. I mean, to that second part, Connor, right? Like uh, Section 18, uh, saying that you have 30 days to file a claim. I mean, uh, God forbid uh, something happens to each one of you guys. But I mean, if you wait even 29 days to tell me that you had a work accident, I mean, we've got some problems, right? Like 30 days is 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 a long time already. I mean, imagine what you're going to have to say to a judge and explain, uh, uh, you know that 30 days, uh, it's kind of closer to 30 months that I waited. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of making that up on the spot, but like uh, tough, tough, tough times uh, for carriers in general when we actually have to try that kind of case. You'd think that a statute is, uh, you know, 30 day of being 30 days is, is pretty concrete, but you know, like what, what if you remember, you know, like what did you use to prove that, you know, any kind of uh, notice argument was, would, would be waived or, or, or I guess not relevant because I would assume the claimant knows that yeah. he, he came in with a late claim. Like how, how, how would, what, what was his idea of trying to disprove that fact? So the way they tried to disprove it and the way um, claimants counsel tried to twist it was through constructive notice saying that, oh, well, the claimant said he gave notice to his supervisor on the job site and, and he was sent home that day, but there was no evidence, there was no evidence of that. And, you know, the claimant, they know, they listed the per the individual he gave notice to as a witness, but failed to produce him and was precluded from producing that witness. And as I stated earlier, I think, um, you know, he, he was hurt in September of 2018, didn't file the claim until October of 2019. So that's like a year and eight, year and eight, nine months difference. And it was, uh, it just seemed pretty much straight on his, on its face, that there was a clear issue from the beginning and we really and we pushed that hard at all at every hearing and two um you know going back to my employer witness just because his testimony was so good which i mean as we all know like employer witnesses are, that are good are sometimes hard to come by and um you know kind of he broke down the injury reporting process and how all the claimant all the employees are informed of this reporting process, go through an orientation or told they have to file an incident report. And none of that was done. The And that's in showing that the claimant had knowledge of this and failed to follow proper procedure, just 
put him in a bad light and and made that section 18 argument even stronger it's a good lesson for everybody really right because if uh, a claimant uh, is going to file a claim that late it's not open and shut and almost having to prove a negative uh, is not always easy but uh, I mean if anybody knows me I mean the, the way to go about that is to uh, defend from day one you know ticker one uh, for the show but like it's the only way that you can disprove a negative is proving that you do have a reporting protocol right like understanding the notice statute in section 18 is really understanding how to defend when a claimant does have an untimely claim because we know that if you can go 13 months and file a claim anyway then we have to be prepared for that so uh, mm -hmm. a great win for you connor uh and and your paralegal will i'm sure she'll be appreciative of that um nod um so uh, thank thank you for sharing that uh, thank you for, for letting me share it. I'm glad to do what I do. <laughs> uh, but you're not, you're not the only person on this panel. We got, we got, uh, three other guests here, uh, with some, some good, uh, uh wins to celebrate. Um, you know, Van and I think you had, had a great win on, on your team, uh, very recently as well. So, um, why don't you tell uh, our audience how, how exactly that came to fruition? Yeah, sure. So, um, I guess I'll switch gears a little bit and focus a little bit more on the medical side of things and the guidelines. Uh, so for my case, it was established to the left shoulder and the bilateral knees. So we got to a point where we're at permanency. And as you know, these are all schedulable sites. Uh, we actually had two claimants doctors who gave permanency opinions. The first doctor found a 20% to the right leg. The second doctor found a 0% to the left shoulder, 7.5% to the left leg and 22.5% for the right leg. And our IME found 0% across the board. So, you know, typically when we get schedules, <laughs> right. Typically when we get, uh, you know, schedule loss abuse, you know, sometimes we like to stipulate. Um, but in this case, given the big difference in a 0% and a 22.5%, uh, you know, we took a deeper look at the medicals and at the guidelines. So the claimant was actually diagnosed with patellar chondromalacia of the right knee. And in the guidelines, there's a special consideration for this diagnosis, uh, specifically special consideration number four in chapter seven of the guidelines. And uh, it basically says that if the claimant has this diagnosis, they can get between a 7.5 and a 10% for the entire leg. And that's it. There is nothing more to be added in terms of if there are additional deficits and flexion, none of that is added. It is a 7.5 to 10%. So uh, based on that alone, we recommended litigating degree of disability because we knew at the very least we can get a 10% um, instead of, you know, stipulating to maybe a 15%. So we were able to schedule depositions. And of course, when I say we, I mean uh, my paralegal, Megan Holloway, who was able to schedule depositions of all the doctors. And we were, get the, we were able to get the claimant's doctors to concede uh, some pretty helpful things. So they, were a, they told us and testified that they were not familiar with the special considerations. They misapplied their application of the special consideration, all of which ultimately led to miscalculated schedules. So based on these concessions, we submitted formal written summations 
And we really highlighted, um, you know, their incredibility. So we highlighted the guidelines, of course, the special consideration for patellar chondromalacia. And we actually cited multiple cases where the board panel has consistently found that additional deficits in range of motion do not apply to this special consideration. And it is only a 7.5 to 10 percent. So at the hearing, uh, the judge had actually read my uh, formal summations before and agreed with our argument. He found that since there was a diagnosis of patellar chondromalacia, the claimant was entitled to just a 7.5% schedule for the right leg. So that's instead of the 22.5% or maybe even the 12 or 15% uh, had we stipulated. And based on that decision, we were actually able to save the carrier a little more than $11,000 on the right leg. But uh, that was just at the hearing. So this actually went up on appeal, and uh, the claimant appealed, arguing again for 22.5%, which we know is a losing argument, but they actually included an alternative argument for a 10% schedule. So we filed a rebuttal, again, highlighting the case law, the guidelines, the special consideration, but we also had to highlight the physical exam findings that supported a 7.5%. Just in case the board panel decided to increase the schedule to the top end of that range, and give them 10%. Um, and I'm happy to report that the board panel decision actually came back on June 16th, and the board panel agreed with our arguments for a 7.5% schedule, and that decision was affirmed. So uh, I guess in this case, we got the initial win at trial, but then you know we were able to secure that win on, on appeal, and the carrier didn't have to dish out any more money. So it's a good case all around, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great, great outcome. I mean, like, uh, I, I starting off from the beginning, I mean, uh, what kind of feedback do you typically get from a claimant's attorney when it's schedule loss of use time and they say, nope, we're not, <laughs> we're not compromising. I mean, that's not, not an easy position to be for, um, uh, you know, I don't want, I'm not saying that you uh, are an inexperienced attorney by any means. I mean, clearly you did the, the work to, to get such a great win, but typically, uh, you know, so even even some someone that has been doing this for a while almost expects to compromise a schedule loss of use. And sometimes, like you you mentioned, it does make sense if if you know monetarily, uh, you know, the client comes out um, without having to incur expenses elsewhere. But uh, I would imagine that the claimant's attorney and maybe even the judge, at least until he read your summations into the record, which is also right. nice, I guess. Like, I, I, it couldn't have been easy to have to to go through that uh, kind of um, uh, rigmarole from the from the other side, right? Right. Yeah. And I think I think even at the at the hearing, you know, we submitted the formal summations, and it looked like claimant's counsel was unfamiliar with the special considerations. And even as the judge was reading it through and agreed with the, you know, with exactly what the guidelines had specified. Um, I think that was probably the reason it went up on appeal because they didn't really understand um, how strongly the board panel really enforces the guidelines, especially that special consideration. So, I mean, it was kind of nice for us to be able to go up on appeal and secure that win, but I think it showed a little bit that the other side wasn't as prepared for that type of argument um, and that specific uh, guideline. And hey, and let me tell you guys too, um, uh, I vividly remember uh, one particular case uh, where, you know, if I had it now, right, like be open and shut. But because sometimes you aren't used to 
the way things work, uh, it, it's not as easy when, when you're, you know, you're in your first year or two of doing things. So it's a really uh, a tremendous uh, outcome for you and, and Megan uh, Holloway. So I'm sure she appreciates that, that not as well. Uh, I would also have to say, you know, doesn't, doesn't that outcome actually legitimately make sense, right? Like if you have a diagnosis that is attributable to some loss of use, why would range of motion loss add to that? Because isn't the range of motion loss like inherently part of that diagnosis? Like it, like it almost makes it seem like range of motion loss shouldn't be added to any special consideration. But I guess that's for too much from the defense side, right? And take the wins where we can get them. I don't know. All right. Well, that's that's a great win for you, Vanderna, and and your and your paralegal. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, like you know, like you mentioned, you know, when we, you can get to a point where uh, almost the judge is using your brief like to make a decision. I mean, isn't that like what they say in law school? It's like just like oh, it's like that's perfectly how this is supposed to play out, right? Mm -hmm. Like I prepare better than you, and to the point where the judge is going to teach you the judge is going to teach you claimant's attorney what the law is using my stuff so uh, i mean that's that's something that you know i, I certainly uh i know you guys are gonna um remember as that team for a while okay uh we got two wins down and you know uh let's i think we're ready for for win number three um bailey what, what happened recently in in your case files uh, yeah, we had a really great win. We got a disallowance um, at the pre-hearing conference, which was great, um, a little unexpected. We went into this case with a good team effort. You would notice that, as a little background, this case was for bilateral carpal tunnel syndrome, and it got filed in 2020, except that the only medical reports in the board file were from 2015. So immediate, it's like red flag, red flag, red flag, notice is definitely going to be an issue in this um, and ODNCR like when did it get filed data disability but then Christian when he was looking at the file saw that there was potentially another insurance carrier who should have been responsible since this carrier didn't come on till 2019 so Christian gave the go-ahead be like we should probably put them on notice and my paralegal filed an RFA um, we got the other carrier on notice we go to the hearing we know we have a great defense for coverage that it shouldn't be us the case is from 2015, it should be on this other insurance carrier. And when we get there, we maintain all our defenses and then claimants counsel gives us the most beautiful medical record of all time, which so explicitly lays out that the claimant not only knew that the injury was from, was from 2015, but lays out exactly what the job duties were that led to the carpal tunnel, that like <laughs> everything, like as beautifully done causal relationship that one could want if the claim was actually filed in 2015. Um, but seeing that this was five years later, we immediately jumped on it and were like, judge, this should be thrown out right now. Bare minimum, it should have been filed in 2017 and it's 2020. So it's three years late, come on, this is garbage. Like, let's get rid of this one. And the judge agreed with us off the bat, didn't fight it whatsoever. Claimants counsel put up a valiant effort to, to say that the claimant only realized it now and things like that. but we really jammed down that 2017 was the latest that should have been filed and we got that disallowance. So that was a really sweet win. Yeah. I, um, 
I, I, I'm super happy uh, to, to be, uh, you know, uh, even a small part of that. Uh, I mean, maybe our listeners won't believe me, but uh, I really wanted Bailey to leave me out of that part. But, you know, I don't care. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning my name. That's awesome. Um, no, I, I, I isn't that isn't that like just something that just is it almost surprises you? Like how 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 could this happen um, where? The claimant's attorney walks into a pre-hearing conference and what happens? The claimant's attorney always expects a trial to be set. Always, right? And that's, you know, when you talk about Steve coming uh, from claimant's side and coming to accept a new challenge. And I honestly think that's one of the best parts about working in this industry is that everybody expects us to just lay down. And then when you don't, and you get that result, ah, like that juice is so much sweeter. It's just like uh, really like an emphasis of exactly what you and and, and um, you know Marisa Zarillo, your paralegal, really put uh, forth for that that claim. And um, Bailey, I mean, you're you're uh, you're, you're an athlete. You played uh, basketball in in college and high school, right? Yeah. Like. You know, you bring that other carrier in. It's almost like, I mean, like I never played college basketball, but I mean, I, I played a little bit before that. And, uh, you know, my eyes as a former point guard light up when it's like a two-on-one fast break. It's oh, like yeah. All the options in the world. Like, what are we going to do? And, and now we're bringing in this carrier from a different claim, almost with the intention to be like, no, it's you. It's not me. It's you. And then you, it's like you kind of make that connection, right? You get that like eye contact where it's like, oh, let's get them. Let's get them. 100%. We're playing off one another. Like she'll say something. I go to the exact point in the medical. And then I say, we can also look here. And then she's like, yeah, judge. And she cites something. And we're going back and forth. So it was really like a, a beautiful tag team to, to just knock that case out. I, I mean... It, for 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 a doctor's report to give a judge reason to knock it out at a pre-hearing conference, a pre-hearing conference, right? Like it could have developed a record, but the judge is like, no, I'm not, I'm not even going to set this case for trial. Like, you, right? I mean, a pre-hearing conference to all of our non-workers comp uh, people out there, right? It's almost like a summary judgment motion, right? Mm-hmm. Got to figure out if uh, both sides have enough and have done the right things to go to trial. And uh, you know, winning on a summary judgment motion, like I guess for, for a defense sign and carrier is just so, so rare that I remember when this happened, it was like, I was like, oh man, we are good, right? Like we are good. But, uh, I don't know. I, that, 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 that was definitely one of my more favorite wins in the last quarter. Uh, I think that, you know, if that, if that doctor is really going to help us that good, I mean, maybe we got to write his name down for an IME panel, <laughs> right? <laughs> maybe come over to our side, be this Steve McLinden of uh, do- uh, claimants doctors and come over and do some, <laughs> some carrier work. But um, any, any final thoughts on that, Bailey? Like any, um, any, any takeaways from, you know, how we would try to like defend against that type of claim, right? Because I mean, like the the 2015 idea for for a 2020 claim, like how would how would we like counsel our clients to really attack those types of claims? Uh, you know, because although that is a great win, we can't expect every one of those files to be done at the pre-hearing conference, right? Right. And that's the thing. The medical that had been in the file from 2015 was a lot more vague. Um, it 
barely, it, it only noted that she was a, a social worker. So it really couldn't give that causal relationship to really be like, this was related to the work. They could have had a better reason to say it was an exacerbation or something to really get that causal relation aspect. So you got to just be looking for those gems of medical records where the doctors take a beautiful prior history or a mechanism of injury um, and focus on the details because when you do have something that lays out a direct relationship, which was what the doctor, uh, the law judge had focused on, the fact that the claimant so well knew what caused her issues and that she was aware of them so long ago. So I would just always look to how much detail can you pull out of each medical record and then how much can you argue and make your own connections at the hearing when it's not as explicit. Great, great. Uh, let's just start talking about these wins on a road. It almost makes us seem like we win every case. Maybe we do. I don't know. Don't tell anybody. Uh, our fourth guest, uh, Steve McLinden. Um, you know, I mean, you're. I think we were actually thinking about having you talk about one or two other of your cases, and then something happened so recently. It's just like, well, let's hold the phone. Like this is like hot off the presses, like frontline, uh, you know, material for a newspaper to really discuss. So like, you know, what, what happened so very recently that maybe not even everybody in our firm knows about yet? Yeah. So I got a disqualification primarily based on security footage um, and of, of the accident or reported accident itself. So I'll go back to that, but I guess this is kind of, you know, you said we're not talking about COVID, but this is kind of a story of working around the the roadblocks that COVID has put up for, for all of us working from home and all of that sort of thing. So this claim it involves, it's in the construction industry. Claimant showed up on a Monday morning in December at work, sort of a, a wintry mix, sleet, snow. I'm not sure what it was exactly where he was and when he was. But he parks in the employee parking lot and you start hearing these things and the bells and whistles start going off. Oh, can you get it disqualified as where he parked was not controlled by the employee employer? But none of that. So he parks, he steps out of the car, he walks into work, finds out we're not working today because of the weather. He goes home, comes back to work the next day, works without incident. So they say, oh, by the way, your physical examination is not up to date. So he goes to urgent care to get that taken care of. Apparently, while he's there, one at urgent care says to him, oh, it looks like you're limping or walking funny. Based on that, he says, oh, well, yesterday I thought I felt a pop or I thought I stepped on some debris or I thought I stepped on some ice when I was getting out of the parking lot. Never had mentioned it to anyone until this is at, at urgent care for something completely unrelated. So then starts going to other doctors. Now it is not just a claim involving the foot. It is he got crutches. So he has a consequential shoulder injury from the soreness of the crutches and the back from leaning over. And then at deposition, the doctor brings in, uh, he has a consequential right foot injury also. Uh, so so this was, he was out of work during the winter. It went in for a, a pre-hearing conference in March. Everything that's set the way you normally expect everything to happen. We're gonna do depositions. Uh, of course, there was difficulty getting the IME in that time. Go back for the next hearing, and we had a list of three employer witnesses we were going to produce, and one was no longer available because of, of some of the shutdowns. One I had spoken to and then wasn't returning my calls, and then when I was able to reach him, um, you know, he didn't have access to his email, 
And it was so difficult coordinating which offices were open, which offices were on furlough, who was considered essential, who wasn't. Uh, so we were able to, to get in touch with him before the hearing. We took the testimony of the claimant. Uh, we disclosed that there was surveillance, not not fraud surveillance, but just security footage of, of the parking lot. Testified, he told the story, he got out of the car, he, you know, and I asked, well, did you step on debris like you wrote or, or what? Um, and I'm knowing that you don't see anything in the parking lot. You know, security footage isn't high definition, but it's pretty clear. There's nothing, doesn't check, step on a, a, a chunk of pavement or anything like that. And so, so then we get the employer witness, and he testifies very well. And it's, it, uh, he limps in the video, and what he sees is what he sees. I, I, I can't, uh, can't blame him for for testifying to what he saw. But in the end, I think that went to his credibility. He has no reason to lie one way or the other. The employer witness and. So, so after that, the judge says, this is in May, well, normally we would be here and you would show everyone the DVD on a laptop, but I don't know what we're supposed to do now. And like, well, I don't know either, judge, and I don't know, we're, com we're coming back after the, the depositions are completed. Are you going to be here? Are, is anyone going to be here? And so we ended up deciding, well, we'll, we'll email it to everyone. We have email addresses too. We ended up having difficulty getting, uh, the, the judge was unable to play it, so we overnighted a DVD also. Uh, I think it was a day or two before the hearing. He responds and says, oh, I was able to get it to play. So, great. We Now we know everyone's seen it. We go in to the hearing, and actually also shortly before the hearing, we got the IME report back. IME says, oh, yeah, uh, as everything's reported, there's causal relation to everything he says. And so my adversary called me before and says, hey, have you talked to your client? Are you guys accepting this? Because that, I suppose, is what the claimant's counsel expects and a lot of times what judges expect. Go in and say, what are, you know, you're not fighting this, are you? And um, he's a reasonable guy, friendly guy, and just wants to work things out. And he tells me, like, I got invited to go on a, a golf outing and I want to know if I need to be there to, to fight this. And, and I say, you know, no, I haven't gone and told my client that we're, we're rolling over. So we go in, um, give our summations. We had written summations as well. Um, and, you know, I'm prepared for things to go either way. And the judge says, yeah, so I watched the video and I see he's kind of limping, but I don't know, maybe his foot fell asleep. It doesn't seem like anything happened. He certainly didn't step on anything. And I have a feeling that this happened uh, on the way to work from, from his long drive or on the weekend. Uh, but I don't see any accident happening in the course of employment. And so the judge disallowed it on that. And I think my adversary was the most surprised, but I, I was just relieved that through all of uh, the, like I said, roadblocks and obstacles put up by COVID that we were able to get a disallowance on that. Yeah, very interesting case. Uh, you know, a lot of twists and turns there almost like had us believing, you know, this is really uh, not going to turn out well um, after, uh, you know, the, the claimants uh, could possibly be seen as limping, um, but I think you actually uh, <laughs> gleaned over something that that was probably the most interesting part for me 
right? It's like you and your paralegal Naima Robinson are like going back and forth with the judge and the adversary about mm -hmm. like how do we serve this surveillance video? Uh, you know, like how do how do we do this? Mm -hmm. And one of my just like a one of my favorite emails uh, in, in a long time is after all the back and forth, the judge replies all and says, "Gentlemen, I have been able to view the video." I will see you at the hearing. And it's like, hmm, like either we're getting crushed, <laughs> like, you know, for making the judge go through all of this, or like maybe there's a window. Like maybe, maybe like he sees it our way. And, uh, you know, it just goes to show that sometimes like even when the claimant goes to the IME doctor and says what? Uh, yes, it happened as a result of the accident. Like, it's not it's not a basis for for getting a claim established. I mean, it's just just not. Like I my favorite things uh, I I always like to say to a judge is like, "Hey judge, um uh, there are two letters before A and C, uh, before CR in A and CR, right? Like don't we get to get to uh, litigate that?" So uh, a nice win for for you and and Naima there, certainly one to uh uh put on the mantle. A great great job from from the team over there. And a win for our RT expert, Paolo. He also put in time on those emails. Look at you. Look at you <laughs> shouting out uh, our IT director, pa Paolo Zoglianti. Uh, yes, I mean, like, uh, very interesting, not, not to get too off topic, but I mean, like, when it, like, it, when it involves something that's outside of, like, uh, our expertise, uh, we do need the help from everybody uh, involved. Okay, guys, uh, four, four cases, four big wins, uh, and I know you have more on your shelves that you wanted to talk about. Uh, we don't have time for that today, but if I could ask you know, one thing from each of you guys that you've learned either through you know, your own win or one of the other wins you've heard on today's panel, um, what would you say you're taking away from from that kind of experience in your case or someone else's? Uh, we'll start with uh, we'll start with Connor because he went first with his case. Um, I think for me, because I know I have a couple claims where they've been the claimants have been diagnosed with contra contra patella. So going going into that section of the guidelines and really hammering that home and maybe my summations when it gets to that point or in settlement negotiation, I think that will be will be key to limiting the overall exposure of these claims. Great, I agree, I agree. Uh, what about you, Vandana? Any, anything you've learned today from your own case or, or, um, or someone else's? I guess you kind of have to say something about someone else's after Connor learned <laughs> something from your case. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll pick up on uh, Bailey's case. Um, I think generally we want to be as prepared as possible. And I think a lot of times, especially since we're dealing with medical to get over that first hurdle of a uh, causal relationship, it means taking a deep dive into the history of the claim, which sometimes means going back through years of uh, medical reports and really trying to see where the weaknesses are and what we can exploit. So um, I think that's probably my biggest takeaway is just to really don't overlook the medicals and and make sure that you're looking for everything because you never know when something can come up that uh, could be really helpful. Great. 
I guess if we, you know, we want to keep it going, like Bailey, like I guess you're gonna have to say something you learned from either Steve or Connor here to make I mean, it hard I, for one of them. I picked Steve, but I just think this is hilarious because everyone's gonna think it's so planned, like this adorable like ring around the rosy, and it's so <laughs> not. The Brady Bunch boxes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but going off Steve's case, I I know we've talked about it in some of my cases that really like importance of like the accident and notice and hearing somebody else have success with it because I know I have a few cases up my sleeve where I'm like, I know the IME says one thing, but you know, with like, let's go for it. Even if it's for like just on other sites or additional sites to keep things out. So I'm happy to hear Steve had success with it. So I'm excited to use it in my own cases. It's great. And just, I mean, even to add to that, right? Like it's hard to discredit causal relationship when there's a concession there, but right. You discredit, discredit the source that leads to it. That becomes a legal issue. Uh, it's a great point, Bailey. Uh, all right. Steve, it's more like, I guess like it's an interrogation now because now I'm asking you to tell tell me what you learned from Connor's case and, and make, uh, you know, make it, make it tough on you because you went last and he went first. Hopefully you remember well, something. Yeah, it wasn't planned, but I suppose that, that I have to follow the pattern now, uh, especially now that you said it. But uh, this this goes for, for all kinds of lawyering that you learn about arguing in, in the alternative. And sometimes, especially with, with workers' comp judges, you do not really know uh, what they're going to find most convincing. So you, you hammer all the points that you've got and... Um, you know, don't take up too much airtime with one or the other if you, if you think you got some up your sleeve. But it is, uh, a, I suppose, a great relief, especially when it is those, like you said, that you, you stay up sleepless about it. When the judge really gives you a rationale and says, oh, actually, I think both of these were really convincing arguments uh, to feel vindicated in that and to know that, you know, you weren't just uh, making throwaway arguments, that they all are potentially valuable. Great. Well, uh, I've seen your faces uh, long enough. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's a lot. It, it is is a lot different. I guess we can kind of be thankful because, like, if we had to cram uh, together in the kill room uh, at the office, it'd be uh, a little bit sweaty. Uh, but thankful that we can all kind of like be safe. Wishing all of our listeners uh, a very very healthy, uh, t- um, you know, and prosperous time get reopening their businesses. Um, I can also say that, uh, you know, for, for the four of you, right, uh, you know, it's really uh, an example of the future being now, right? Uh, we're, we're growing, but uh, I consider us to are, are, have already grown and um, coming, coming from a, a place where, where we opened the doors to our firm not, not so long ago and being known around New Jersey courts as, as the gang of 12 who decided to kind of hang their own shingle. Uh, to, to this outfit that we have right now is really a demonstration of, of your investment uh, in us uh, and, and your, your attitude and dedication to really uh, securing good wins and outcomes for our clients. So Connor Weatherington, Vanna Saunders, Bailey Ott, and Steve McClendon, thank you guys uh, for coming on the show today. Uh, for, for them uh, and to our listeners, this is Christian Cisan reminding you to defend from day one.